You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. This is East Carolina Hall of Famer and Utah Jazz first-round draft pick Blue Edwards. You're listening to Pirate Basketball Overtime on The Sports Objective, your home for the best East Carolina hoops coverage. going on pirate nation welcome in to the pirate basketball overtime on the sports objective east carolina victorious tonight 74 to 66 over unc wilmington pirates have won four straight against the seahawks at william drina Minji's coliseum trailed by 12 with just over a minute remaining in the first half but uh, really you know tightening the screws defensively after halftime after after trailing by seven at the break uh, led by as many as 10 or 11, and then you know went on to that 74-66 win. Bobby Pettiford, a career-high 24 points, also a double-double from Brandon Johnson, and a terrific performance as well from Caleb LeCount. Um, but right now, you know, before we dive into to more of what transpired tonight in Minji's, I'd like to welcome in Matt and Kyle. Matt, how are you this evening? Doing good, guys. Uh, really, really solid win tonight. Really strong second half. Um, you know, it was, it was. I think when you look at the second half specifically, Bubba and Kyle, I think that's the type of team Mike Schwartz wanted at the outset of the season. The, the defensive intensity was much, uh, it was ratcheted up to where, you know, I think it really needed to be. I mean, you could just see a major difference in the effort, um, you know, and, and just overall the quality of defense and really good performance. You know, after a frustrating first half, I thought the second half was was very strong. Yeah, you've been wanting to kind of see that all year out of the defense. Um, we've been a little bit disappointing, except for the you know the the big moment where Pettiford hit the uh, the, the half court shot a week ago or so. Uh, besides that, we've been a little bit disappointing this year and. Uh, so nice win tonight over Wilmington in-state rival who's been playing good. They'd only lost one game so far this year. And um, nice to see the defensive effort in the second half after being down big early. That was one we really needed to win. We, um, you know, we've had a couple of bad losses. And then the uh, the loss to Mason, not a bad loss. No shame in losing George Mason on the road. It was just how we lost that was uh, ugly. So um, nice to see us play that way in the second half, come back, play good defense, which you hope is the beginning of – what you'll see the rest of the year and uh the win the night over Wilmington and now um you know what are we what are we now five and three? Yep, five and three. And you know, if you'd have told us coming into this game, you know, if um, with Ezra Sar, um that I mean we we would have certainly been fired up about a win like this. But uh, you know, playing this game without Ezra who's still you know battling an ankle injury and then you had RJ Felton and also Brandon Johnson get him first half foul trouble. 
So you you had to have Bobby Pettiford and then also Caleb LeCount step up, and they did. Um, they, they combined to the score 35 of your 74 points. And, and then once Brandon was able to get back on the court, he knocked down, I want to say, four threes in the game. We'll go over the numbers later. And then and the defensive effort, I'd say, just on the surface, it was the best of the season. Yeah. You know, we came in allowing 74 points per game, which ranked 235th nationally. Um, uh, opponents were shooting uh, pretty well against us from three. Our three-point field goal defense was uh, ranking 249th nationally. And then our field goal percentage defense, 328 of 351 tonight. Good God. Yeah. So and opponents coming into tonight were shooting 48.2%, I think it was. Tonight, we hold Wilmington below 40%, um, 39-3, I think, to be exact. And then the Seahawks, just three out of 23 from beyond the arc, uh, 13%. And uh, that is abysmal. That is some abysmal (laughs) Not even 13%, uh, I don't think. Whatever. Whatever. It was was atrocious. But coming into the game, they ranked second nationally, shooting (sighs) 43.4% from three. So that right there – you know, yeah, I think you have some early numbers. I think you had early numbers uh, that were that were a bit out of whack. That don't indicate probably how good our three point defense will be, and their three point shooting probably isn't as nearly as good as it looked early. So you probably had some some um, some things kind of even out tonight. That probably how they'll actually be factual for the rest of the year. Probably not to that extreme for as bad as they shot threes, but uh, you, you understand still what I'm saying. So with Ezra being out, you had Callum Richard and get the start. Um, you know, the things that he did didn't jump off the stat sheet, but at the same time, I, I think Matt, it was you. You uh, made some comments there early on the way he was battling on the boards. Yeah, I think you know he he did a nice job. You know, at least boxing out early in the game, um, we were really struggling uh, in terms of uh, blocking out on the defensive end. We were getting crushed on the boards. I mean, Wilmington was just was just uh, getting a ton of offensive rebounds. I thought he did a pretty nice job, at least boxing out, getting his body on the man. You know, it was good to see the young guys get some action out there between Richard and uh, Malanga. Um, he's he's a guy that really I think watching him tonight um, for a big guy he can move well and he's got a pretty good motor. I, I was impressed with some of the things I saw at him tonight. Yeah, Cal Richard and Sierra Malonga, um, they both have a lot of upside um, compared to some of the bigs we've had in the past. Uh, so very encouraged um, with what, what I've seen um, in, in a small sample size thus far. And Cal Richard tonight, uh, as I mentioned, got the start, played 14 minutes. He did foul out, uh, but uh, he, he pulled down five re- rebounds. Um, and then you had Sierra Malonga play 11 minutes off the bench two for two, um, also pulled down three boards. So four points, three rebounds in 11 minutes for Sear. Yeah, a lot of guys got playing time tonight. And I think the big thing with with Ezra out, we were in so much foul trouble early in the game, Kyle. I mean, uh, Felton had two. Brandon Johnson had two. You know, you needed somebody to to step up tonight. And this is this is this this performance from Pettiford 
was very impressive because not only was he getting to the rim, you know, he, he was getting into the paint, he was getting to the rim, but he was knocking down his threes. And I think if he can do that, you know, he's not going to play that good every night, but man, if he can knock down his threes, it's going to just really help to, you know, this team. I think that's the Pettiford when he was recruited out of high school, that's the type of guy everybody thought they were going to get. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, you saw it, uh, in the, uh, in the game where he hit the half court shot and now you saw it tonight for a sustained effort, putting up 24 points. And, um, when we needed him, uh, you know, big time, really, uh, with some guys going out with foul trouble and, and, and a game where we were playing from behind. And, um, you know, and he wasn't, you know, what, what did he average at Kansas? Ain't, you know, Kansas is Kansas. And ain't like he, he, he put up like, didn't he average eight points a game there or something? It ain't like he was horrible. No, he, oh, he was horrible. You, you, you're thinking <laughs> about Cam, you're thinking about what Cam Hayes did at, uh, NC State as well as LSU. Okay. okay. But, um, Pettiford really wasn't asked to score like, that uh, at Kansas, kind of like Jaden Walker at Iowa State on, when he was on that Sweet 16 Cyclones team. Right. Um, more of a different role. Uh, you know, he, he did have a moment or two at, at Kansas last year um, down in the Battle of Atlantis, you know, over the Thanksgiving holiday. You know, you know he hit a game-winning shot against Wisconsin. and But, uh, you know, by and large, you know, he, he didn't score a ton for the Jayhawks, I'd say probably averaged two or three points if I just right offhand. Okay. But, you know, obviously had the potential he wouldn't have been at Kansas and now uh, in East Carolina, he's starting to show uh, what he can do. Right. And, and to your point, uh, you know, a lot of folks, you know, the you know, kind of, I guess, playing devil's advocate, you know, or, you know, the question mark, you know, would Pettifer be able to score the way you need, it, need him to score? And um, not that you're going to get 18 or 24 from him, but, um, you know, if you'd have told me, and I, when I say 18 or 24, on a consistent basis, but, um, yeah, Bobby Pettiford's brought a lot more to the table offensively than I thought he may. And uh, it's what knocked down, at least in his last two games at Menji's, knocked down a combined seven threes. Yeah, no, that's huge. He, uh, he definitely plays well at home and uh, I'm contributing very well so far to the uh, to the program. Yeah, and like, <laughs> well, you know, when you when you have a point guard that can get into the paint and make things happen, it's going to really help this team because Brandon Brandon Johnson, obviously, you know, he he is a a true stretch five for this team. That he just he loves to be out on the perimeter. Um, he's very effective there. He he's really improved his three point shooting and his ability to step away from the basket and pull his defender. You know, you're pulling the other team's big out to the perimeter now. So that opens up some lanes. And when you have a point guard that can get into the paint and make things happen, it's going to really help out. And, you know, um, that's a, that's just, you know, I, I was very impressed with him tonight. I mean, he just had it all going, um, you know. And, and, and when he attacks the rim, you can – he's got a different gear athletically than I think a lot of the point guards we've seen here. Yeah, his, his explosiveness and you know, ability to finish in the at the rim, and um, Norm Fear chimes in on YouTube saying he probably could have had thirty tonight, but um, there were multiple times you know where he attacked the basket and made, made nice passes as well, or, or or you know passed up some chances to attack the basket uh, and and uh, and they found other guys who knocked down shots. 
Yeah, you know, the first half of the game, I thought I think when we were really struggling offensively in the first half, you know, we had a lot of guys in foul trouble, but if you if you go back and look at it, everything was on the perimeter. Every shot we were taking was a three at one point. And there, there was really nothing, you know, in the paint. We weren't getting to the rim. And I think I'm not sure what happened at halftime. I'm guessing it it, it was you know, that team got lit up pretty good by Mike Schwartz because they responded in the second half. They did. And, uh, you know, appreciate everyone chiming in tonight on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, in addition to Norm, we have Chuck Saeed chiming in saying outscored the Seahawks by 15 in the second half, 45 to 30. And as I mentioned in the first couple minutes of the show, uh, East Carolina trailed UNC Wilmington. 36 to 24 with just over a minute left in the first half. But then uh, closed the half on a 5 0 run to get within seven at the break. And then um, it really took control of the game in the second half. Uh, and as Matt mentioned, you know, whether it was Bobby Pettiford Jr. or Brandon Johnson, I know RJ didn't have one of his bigger nights, but he did have a big basket or two. Uh, and when the Seahawks would, when when the Pirates built that, you know, two or three possession lead and would get it lead out to seven or eight, and then the Seahawks would trim it back down to two or three. Uh, you know, it seemed like ECU always had an answer on knocking down. I remember uh, Pettiford having two big threes, one off the left wing yeah. and one one from the top of the key. Yeah, that was a good point, Bubba, because you would see Wilmington like they were going to start to cut back into the lead. And every time the Pirates would hit a basket to to maintain that advantage of uh, a couple of three possessions, and so that was that was big. That we never let them get it back to uh, to a one possession game at any point uh, there late in the second half. And uh, someone else who who really had a big game that is, of course, Caleb LeCount. Caleb finished with eleven on the majority of those or I think a decent number of those came in the first half. But uh, what about him, Matt, and the way he took the ball to the basket? Uh, one, I can think, kind of driving the ball off the right wing and um, tremendous job finishing among the, among the trees. Yeah, he was able to knock down some shots tonight, and that, that additional scoring really helped. Uh, you know, I think when I look at this team, I think <sighs> – one of the big decisions Mike Schwartz is going to have to make is what to do with that second guard position or, or, or the backup point guard. Um, you know, and I, and I think, you know, on certain nights, like tonight, LeCount was able to contribute. Um, but when we're playing a team with bigger guards, it's, he, it's going to be tough for him just because of his size. So I think, you know, you, we got to get more out of Walker. And, and I like, I want to see Walker more in that backup point guard role or even playing side by side with uh, Pettiford and because he brings some additional size and, but he, he hasn't been able to get really into any rhythm yet this year. And I don't know what it is, you know, with Walker, I don't know if it's because he was playing a lot more point last year with the ball in his hands and now he's playing off ball more, but I think he's a guy, I mean, what do you guys think about that? I think, I think we need to find a way to get him going. Yeah, I yeah. agree. He, he he certainly played well in that role the second half of last season once Javon Small was injured. So uh, and Jaden's had a game or two this year where he really came up 
came up big. I'm trying to remember if it was uh, Kennesaw State or may, perhaps uh, Georgia Southern, but uh, but he, I think he's. We came into the night uh, averaging or having four players averaging in double figures, and then you also had Jaden Walker averaging eight, and I believe Bobby Pettiford Jr. averaging eight. So really very balanced scoring thus far. And you know you're, you're going to get a lot from those big three with Johnson, Asar, and then um, and then also um, drawing a blank here at this uh, late hour. But uh, but John, Johnson, Asar. Malanga and Richard. And, and, um, and then, of course, um, Walker and by uh, RJ Felton because I, I was talking about R, RJ RJ how could I forget that uh, you know he, he came in the game averaging between 21 and 22 points and then tonight just had seven but did have a couple of big buckets so, I got a question for you Bubba I don't know if you know this or not uh, is is the tip off time that I just that that Alexa because I was trying to remember who we played before South Carolina so I just asked my Alexa and we're playing uh, Maryland East for sure. Uh, is the tip-off time of 4 p.m. for next Monday correct? That can't be right. I'm pretty – yeah, that's they, – they brought it up on the broadcast tonight. And, yeah, that, that is odd. I, Why are we playing a 4 p.m. basketball game on a Monday – on a Monday afternoon? Yeah, especially on December 4th. It was – if it was, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, you know, during the holiday break and you might – get it a little bit more perhaps, but I don't know. Cause I, I remember attending a game and get, I want to say it was like on a Tuesday or something kind of weird against Southern Miss uh, two years ago in Joe Dooley's final season. Yeah. Like December. Yeah. I remember that. But, but me and my, me and my dad and Gabe Mikulas and it was, I think it was a noon tip off and cause it, it was right there before the, the players went home. So it was probably like, you know, December, yeah. 21st or something. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, right. I don't know that it makes sense, but it, you, you can make sense of it. But why in the world are we playing a 4 p.m. tip-off on a Monday night, early December, or on a Monday afternoon, early December? I, I don't I don't understand the logic behind that at all. You do want fans to attend the games, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, obviously, you, you would understand it if it was a um, tournament. Well, if it was a eleven or or something, because you know Education Day, right? The, the women had their annual Education Day uh, yesterday, defeating defeating Hampton seventy five fifty five. But um, I was looking at the schedule to see if there was anything listed as to. But yes, it, I mean that's that is accurate. Four four o'clock tip off against Maryland Eastern Shore. Is there anything to do with the volleyball tournament? No, I mean, that. I would think there's something going on that day. That's yeah. I, was, I thought maybe the, the volleyball tournament, if we made it to the second round, was that night or something. No, I I, I know that. Um, I know we could not commit to hosting beyond uh, what we are hosting for volleyball because of uh, men's and women's basketball. So, do the ladies play like? UConn that night? I know we don't play UConn anymore. <laughs> I'll, I'll look and see what 
the women's That's schedule. That's so odd to me. If anybody has the answer to that, please comment. The, 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 women, the women do play at 630. They, they also play Maryland Eastern Shore. I, I, for the you would think you would think those would be reversed. reversed you, exactly. you would think it would be yes, you yes. think it would be women at four and men at six thirty, <sighs> or, or, or even even women women at five thirty or six and men men at and men at uh, you know eight. Yeah, somebody's got to explain this to me. Um, that that sounds like some politically correct bull crap to me. There, having the men play before the women. Um, I, uh, for what it's worth, the, the women's game is um, the salute to service game, uh, and and then Justin Butts, as I just mentioned, says that he didn't know um, the rationale, but uh, the women do play Maryland Eastern Shore as well at six thirty, following the men. And yeah. then and then Norm, Norm Fear says exams start Tuesday, so yeah, but just reverse it. Just reverse it. Have the girls play first, and then the guys. I don't. I just don't understand that. But anyway, uh, neither here nor now there. Kyle. But, yeah. Now Kyle. Now Kyle. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I'm <laughs> I don't want to correct. I'm joking, I'm joking brother. Want to play to the administration? You're right. I, I gotta. I gotta. Uh, it makes perfect sense to play it at four o'clock. I, we don't need any questions answered. Four o'clock tip off. Let's move all our games to four o'clock tip offs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh but yeah. I, we've mentioned some of the individual scoring. Um, very quickly, I'll run over um, the the box score tonight uh, and taking a look at at the scoring. Um, again, Bobby Pettiford Jr. in 34 minutes, eight out of 13 from the floor, three out of five from three, five of six from the line, 24 points, four rebounds, and two assists, four zip. Uh, you had Brandon Johnson with a double-double, 18 points and 11 rebounds in 30 minutes, 5 of 11 from the floor, 4 of 8 from 3, 4 of 6 from the line. Um, then you also had Caleb LeCount in, uh, coming off the bench, playing 23 minutes, uh, a large number of those minutes in the first half, but also had some big buckets after the break, 5 of 10 from the floor, 1 of 4 from 3. 11 points, two assists, and two rebounds for uh, the talented sophomore out of L.A. Uh, also getting in on the scoring, you had Quentin DeBunge with seven points in 35 minutes. R.J. Felton with seven in 24 minutes. Um, Sierra Malongo with four. Benjamin Bayela with two. Jaden Walker knocked down one free throw um, and only had two shot attempts in 13 minutes. And um, that is it for East Carolina. Um, UNC Wilmington was led by Pitt County's own Shaquem Phillips. Uh, you you had Phillips with 20 points, 7 out of 16 from the floor, 6 of 7 from the line in 31 minutes. A nice point guard matchup between Pettiford Jr. and Phillips. Uh, really and then, impressive uh, performance by Phillips, I thought. He was – yeah. He was on fire in the first half. He cooled off a little bit um, in the second half. I thought we did a much better job on him, but really impressive performance. He's a very solid player, um, so I was impressed with him. But I, I kind of feel like – don't you guys feel like DeBunge is kind of the X factor for this team? I mean, I, I really liked how he was, he was – he was really aggressive tonight. He was trying to, um, you know, to beat his man off the dribble and, and, and get to the rim. Um, 
I think he's kind of the X factor. I think when he figures it out, I mean, he's still relatively young, but I think when he figures it out, he could fall into that, that slasher type role, you know, a guy who can kind of, you know, make things happen off the dribble. And then, you know, if his threes fall on, that's, 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 you know, a bonus, but, uh, I liked how aggressive he was tonight, even though the shot wasn't always falling. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you, you, you miss every shot you don't take. So, uh, Eventually, they'll start falling for him. So, uh, not to, you know, you don't want him to be scared to take a shot. Taking a look at the team numbers, um, we talked about how really both of these teams had struggled defending. Coming into this game, uh, in East Carolina, its opponents were shooting a little over 48% uh, from the floor. UNC Wilmington's 46.5%. Um, Pirates certainly in the better defensive performance tonight. Um UNC Wilmington shot 39.3%, 22 out of 56, just three out of 23, 13% from three. The Seahawks got to the charity stripe 30 times, but were only able to convert 19 of those, 63.3%. East Carolina, 44.2 from the floor, 23 out of 52, eight out of 25 uh, from beyond the arc with all eight of those makes um, coming from Brandon Johnson and Bobby Pettiford Jr., uh, each knocking down four trifectas. Uh, ECU, 20 out of 32 from the charity stripe. Too many misses there, shooting just 62.5%. Fortunately, that did not come back to bite us. And then uh, after not doing the best of jobs in the first half uh, on the glass, not sure what those numbers were at halftime. And I know you referenced that, Matt, in our group text. But then uh, the Pirates finished the game a 10-rebound advantage, 43-33, to 33, including 14 on the offensive glass. Yeah, that's huge. Um, I uh, I can't stand to watch us get out-rebounded. I mean, sometimes it's just a talent disparity, and that's why you get re- out-rebounded. But when it's effort, that pisses me off so bad. So uh, really happy to see that tonight. That wins you a lot of basketball games. And in addition to the defensive effort, as we mentioned early in the show, I just think the biggest takeaway for me with this game, besides improved defense, is just how without Ezra Asar, uh, with Brandon Johnson getting in foul trouble, R.J. Felton getting in foul trouble, and then you had Pettiford and then and then also LeCount step up the way they did, um, and having having to go small um, and without your your big three on the floor there in the first half and found a way to hang in there um, despite falling behind by 12, closed the half with a little 5-0 spurt and uh, carried that momentum into the into the second half. And and the way you de- defended the arc and talked about the defensive performance, but if you had told Coach Schwartz <laughs> coming into the game that you're going to hold UNC Wilmington that was shooting 43-4 from beyond – and the the arc to just thirteen percent. Uh, you know he, he would have uh, been ecstatic. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I thought we did a pretty good job making like taking away their perimeter offense and making them put the ball on the floor. And a lot of times they had to settle for mid range shots, and you know nobody can make mid range shots anymore. It's like it's a lost art in basketball. So I thought we yeah we did a pretty good job. You know, doing that tonight. 
Before we wrap it up and get out of here, uh, let's take a look at what lies ahead for the Pirates. We talked about how on Monday afternoon uh, the Pirates uh, will return to the floor at Minji's uh, taking on Maryland Eastern Shore at uh, the odd tip-off time of 4 o'clock on a a Monday. Uh, The Hawks are 2-4 and this year. bringing up their schedule they have taken on other competition within the american Um, they opened the year against the temple owls uh, following 85 to 65 and um, do have what would appear to be a pretty nice win i'm not sure how Penn's faring this season but uh pin quakers pretty good basketball tradition but uh, they they took down Penn 83 to 80 in the fourth game of the season um they also play Notre Dame and Liberty, uh, two quality clubs. But um, Notre Dame beat them by 20, and then Liberty blew them out by 37, 99, 62. So, I mean, this is – I mean, no no doubt about it. So, you know, if East Carolina plays the way it should play – or can play, I should say, that uh, we should win this game rather comfortably, but you never know. And uh, you know, coming off an emotional win like we are over the and, and South Carolina after that, yeah, yeah, in there um, between the Seahawks and the Gamecocks, and also you factor in exams and reading day, trap game, yeah, a bit of a trap game. So Pirates need to come out on Monday and take care of business, get to six and three, and and really uh, carry the momentum into the game against the Gamecocks uh, on Saturday, December 9th, a noon tip-off on ESPNU. Yeah, that game will probably be pretty near sold out, wouldn't you think? I mean, I, I don't know that for a fact, but I would think that South Carolina game is going to be pretty near sell out. I would think, and you know, speaking of crowds, hats off to Pirate Nation. Um, you know, 5182, uh, certainly the best crowd of the, and atmosphere of the season. So, again, 5,182 in attendance tonight for the 74-66 win over UNC Wilmington. And uh, the students really created a, a nice atmosphere. Yeah, and that's good to see. And it's good to see uh, the crowd get rewarded with a win. And uh, hopefully that uh, happens again next Saturday when we play the Gamecocks because you can have your biggest crowd of the year. And, uh, if, you, you know, when you, when, you, when, when you have those butts in seats, you need to take advantage of it and get a win. And, Good to see us do that tonight. Hopefully, we do it again. Well, Monday before that, but there won't be that many people there. But when we play the Gamecocks, yeah, hey, man. I'm really hoping what we saw tonight is the start of something, you know, defensively, guys. And you know, yeah. the thing is, coming into this game, we had what five days off. Um, yeah, so we had a chance to, we had a really good chance to prepare for this game, and also get things fixed defensively because, you know, it's been really up and down early in the season. Um, which, you know, to, to, to a certain extent is expected, you know, it's early in the season, you're figuring things out, but you know, we did have five days to prepare. I liked what I saw tonight. I I thought we did, we were much improved on that end. I just really hope that this is the start of something, you know, uh, that's going to last defensively because I think that's the way we're going to need to win, especially when we get into conference play, we're going to need to really, you know, lean on our defense. And, um, especially when you're in a situation where you have, one of your top scorers like Ezra out, um, you know, we're, we're going to need to lean on the defense. So happy to see that. No doubt. And Matt, 
I think it was in the second half tonight. Uh, you had Ferrar, um, six six um, guard, you know, pretty pretty thick. <laughs> LOL from uh, yep yep from UNC Wilmington. Did you hear the? Uh, did you hear what the Minchies maniacs were chanting when he was shooting free throws? Uh, I did not. When they were chanting, "Eat a salad." <laughs> Well, that's, that's not nice. As a fat guy, I, I gotta say I'm offended. You know, <laughs> as, as, as a, as a, you know I ate a salad tonight. And I, you know, sometimes it just doesn't do it. Uh, that's funny. Well, I gotta say, like, you know, a lot of times when you're watching these games on ESPN three, uh, excuse me, ESPN plus, Bubba. Kyle, um, was the one, Kyle was the one that corrected you on that. Uh, Kyle, all right, Kyle, my bad, my bad. Yeah, so, ESPN Plus. Yeah, we we can't we can't. I'm not used to the old the, school. We got we got to promote these ESPN platforms, you know, properly because uh, they don't get enough money. Yeah, <laughs> but but and I did. Well, think- they always make it a point to promote us properly. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, both the, East Carolina and the Sports Objective. The, the Eastern Carolina Panthers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and Brad says it's a shame that. Uh, Quentin DeBouger was unable to knock down one of those two free throws there with about 15, 20 seconds remaining to, you know, the, the Minji's Maniacs were chanting, uh, we want tacos, but unfortunately that did not happen. And then Norm Fear said Mike Schwartz in the postgame referenced how the last three practices since the 22-point defeat at George Mason on Saturday were the most intense of the season. Good. And, we we certainly uh, played like uh, a team on a mission in the second half tonight. Hey Brad, it was like you ever see the movie Semi Pro with uh, with uh, Will Ferrell, where uh, he has to buy the crowd, everybody in the crowd something. What is it? Uh, corn dogs. Remember, remember Semi Pro. You guys saw Semi Pro, right? I've never seen it. Oh my God, Kyle! I'm not a huge Will Ferrell fan. I like Elf. I've seen bits and pieces. I, I hadn't seen the whole thing. I, that's one of those. I I got to so, gotta watch it. Got to watch it. So there's a scene in the movie where if they score a certain number of points, he has to buy the entire crowd corn dogs. So he basically throws the game and, and he, you know, he doesn't score the last basket. And uh, so that's what the Boonjay, man, come on. You got to make those free throws. Tacos for everybody. Kyle mentions how how the Gamecocks are coming to Williams Arena, Minji's Coliseum on December 9th. Gamecocks six and zero. Oof. Last year, uh, rough go of it. Pirates beat them in Greenville, South Carolina. I, I was there in attendance with Gabe Mikulas, um that day. Um, but um, so far, taking a look at the Gamecocks. Um, East Carolina, of course, suffered that disappointing loss when we were without Brandon Johnson to USC Upstate. Um, the Gamecocks opened their season with a 29-point win over USC Upstate. Then they, they beat Virginia Tech 79-77, beat VMI by 10, beat DePaul by 5, Oof. beat Grand Canyon, who, you know, who has a pretty good program, by 7. Yep. And then they beat Notre Dame 65-53. And um, they they return to action. Tomorrow. Are they ranked? They got to be getting pretty close to being ranked. I'd say fairly. I'd say they may be receiving votes. I'll see if I can bring up the poll here 
momentarily before we wrap it up, but um, they return to action tomorrow uh, with a seven o'clock tip off against George Washington. And then uh, perhaps this, this could bode well for the pirates. They go to Clemson on December 6th, which is a a Wednesday night game prior to coming to Greenville on Saturday. And that's an eight eight o'clock tip off on the ACC network against the Tigers on 12, six. Who do they play after us? Um, they don't play for a week, so okay. they play Charleston Southern on the 16th. Yeah, but I do like that playing Clemson before us, and uh, you said it's at Clemson? And it's on the road, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and then um, we'll go ahead and take a look on December 14th, as we were discussing, I guess it was perhaps off the air, and the Pirates will travel down to Lakeland, Florida, you know, uh, roughly two hours from – on the the Gators campus and uh, the Gators four and three thus far in the second year of that regime. Um, Coach Golden, I believe it is, coming over from San Francisco. Uh, They opened the season with a 20-point win over Loyola, Maryland. Lost a 73-70 game to Virginia um, at the event in Charlotte at Spectrum Center. Uh, they beat Florida A&M by 20-plus. They beat Florida State by 21-89-68. They beat Pitt by 15. Um, you know, Pitt has played very well thus far. And they lost a shootout uh, with number 13, Baylor, 95-91. And then uh, most recently lost 82-71 at Wake Forest. Uh, so really challenging schedule. Uh, how about that? Four – You've played Virginia, Florida State, Pitt, Baylor, Wake Forest. Uh, Unbelievably tough schedule thus far for the Gators and have performed very well, scoring a ton of points. Um, Just in those those five games that I just referenced, they had 86-plus in four of them. So on the Pirates, um, that improved defense will – need to uh, continue to show significant improvement uh, to give ECU a chance against Florida. No doubt about it. Did, did this cut out here? No, I was, I, I was muted. I was talking yeah. to my wife. I thought you were going to take over after Bubba's comment, but you let me down, Matt. I, th- I uh, think we were, we were both muted and probably talking to ourselves. I think. My yeah, I, I was talking to my wife actually, but that's why I was muted. But I, uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, Florida coming up after South Carolina. The schedule gets very tough. This is real deal basketball, but it's what you need to get you ready for American Conference play. You're not ever going to be competitive in the American at the level we want to be to try to win the league, compete at the top half of the league by playing, um, you know, Dudeville State every night. So it's good to play uh, the 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 Floridas and the South Carolinas of the world. Um, you know, so, uh, it's a tough schedule, but you know, if you win one of those two, good God, I mean, that would fire the fan base up big time, uh, as we, uh, get into the, uh, back half of the non-conference schedule. Taking a look at the American school board uh, tonight, um, Florida Atlantic continues to, to roll, uh, since, since getting upset, I want to say is perhaps in like game two or three, yeah, game three against Bryant when they fell. 6152 uh you know they have they've been lighting it up and and blowing blowing some folks out and, and as well as winning 
a couple of close games against quality competition. Um, in game two, uh, they, they had beaten Eastern Michigan 100-57. to And then um, game four, beat Butler 91-86. Game five, um, take down 12th-ranked Texas A&M and um, you know, Buzz Williams ball club that um, you know Steve Rockerfort's on that staff. Um, they defeated the Aggies 96-89. They beat Virginia Tech 84 to 50. And then tonight they um, beat a pretty good Liberty team 83 to 58. Yeah, they're gonna be a handful when we play them in January. And uh, that's why we gotta play the that's why we gotta play these George Masons and these in these South Carolinas and these Floridas to get us ready for conference play because, you know, the American, while it took a pretty big step back in football, I, despite the name recognition, I believe the basketball league is deeper now, actually. Yeah, it, it's certainly uh, North Texas. You know, they were in the NIT a season ago. They won the NIT. Yeah, okay, yeah exactly. Yeah, won the NIT. And then, uh, of course, Charlotte has good history, even though they – and they won the like a CBI last yes. year, CIT, CIT. Yeah. won the CIT. Uh, I know they lost a ton from that team and also had a had a coaching change. But um, Charlotte does have some basketball tradition. And then you have UTSA. Um, they're leading Lamar 78-77 with 54 seconds remaining in that game. Hofstra beat South Florida 82-63. And Rice defeated UT Martin ninety-eight to seventy-eight, um, and and then uh, let's see any other sc- scores of interest. That's that's pretty much it, uh, you know, guys. You know, before we wrap it up and get out of here, I will say, you know, in the next day or two, whenever East Carolina announces that it has uh, its offensive coordinator to replace uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick, you know, we will go live and um, discuss that hire um, we'd love for you to to join us and and talk about the future of, of the pirate offense you know we're hearing you know we'll give credit here to, to steven Igo and hoist the colors also of 94.3 the game you know, chad morris former clemson oc arkansas head coach smu head coach now a clemson offensive analyst you know he's one of the uh front runners and then you also had John David Blake, co-OC uh, there in Oxford for Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels, who averaged, what, about 35 points a game and went 10-2 and two this season. Yeah, I think uh, two, two guys from, from high-octane offenses, you know, I think, you know, both I think are really good candidates. Um, you know, I, I'd be pretty happy with either one. I'm leaning towards Chad Morris, guys, I think just because – when you look at the situation we're in and how important of a year this is for Mike Houston coming up, I think he, I think he really needs to go with the guy that has the most experience actually calling plays. And, uh, you know, I, I just think he, he really needs to lean on somebody that has a lot of experience and a proven track record. And, um, I I think Morris is, is ultimately going to be the guy, but what do I know? I mean, this is pure speculation, but, um, Kyle, I heard, I heard, um, I heard Baker's interview went really well. Okay. All right. So, what do you think, I, Kyle? I mean, yeah, do you have a favorite here? I would go Morris just based on experience. Um, 
Baker's intriguing, but you know, he's co-OC at Ole Miss. There's a reason he's co-OC and there's a reason he's willing to leave Ole Miss for East Carolina. That means he's really not calling the plays there. Um, so that that's concerning, but also he's good enough to be named co-OC at uh, Ole Miss, which means Lane Kiffin must think a, must think a lot of him. And Lane Kiffin's a pretty good evaluator of offensive play calling and you know offense in general. So um, I would trust his judgment. Um, he probably will be a very good OC calling plays somewhere. And he, if he gets the job here, he'll probably do a good job. It's just a little bit more of a risk. Chad Morse is a proven commodity. Uh, even though, um, you know, since Auburn, he has not been an FBS offensive coordinator since 2020, but uh, certainly was successful at a high level at Tulsa and at Clemson, um, was successful as a head coach at SMU, did not work out at Arkansas, uh, was fired along with the rest of Gus's staff at, uh, at Auburn, got into high school coaching, and now he's uh, back being an analyst at the uh, FBS level. But uh, Chad Morris is a proven commodity, so I'm with you uh, of the two. That's who I would go with. But um, I think uh, I think Baker at a, from Ole Miss is uh, is an interesting choice. Um, it's a little bit more of a gamble, but um, it could work out well. Um, the other name you're hearing is um, the uh, the tight ends coach, and assistant head coach out at Ohio State. Uh, would not make that hire um, uh, based on his resume. Um, you know he, uh, that's an even bigger gamble, but. Uh, We'll see how it plays out. And, you know, early on, Doug Martin's name was being mentioned. It uh, looks like maybe he's not a candidate anymore. But uh, so we'll see. I would expect if we don't get an announcement, um, you know, by Saturday, I would start to get worried that, that, that we're maybe not coming up with the money. Uh, the, the guys we're interviewing at that level, like Chad Morris and Baker, guys at that level, uh, that maybe some financial issues. Um, because uh, we, you know, we were told that uh, that uh, Houston was told to make a hire this week at OC and uh, the portal. You know, that's opened up. Recruiting's about to open back up, um, so you you need to have your OC in place so we can get a quarterback and some receivers and some linemen in here. Yeah, I think Chad Morris brings that name brand. You know, he, he does. Was, it, it'll excite the fan base. Yeah, I mean, it was a time come, you know, ten years ago. Chad Morris was was one of the hottest names in in college coaching in terms of offensive, you know, bright. Well, and the, you know, there was. I think at one time with Dabo, there was a lot of people that thought when Dabo first started rolling at Clemson that it was all Chad Morris was doing, um, and uh, we found out since then that wasn't the case. Um, so, uh, but you know, he, he prior to going to Clemson, he did a good job as OC at Tulsa, and did a good job at SMU as head coach. Um, just just was a horrible fit at Arkansas. I don't know why Arkansas made that hire, quite honestly, and I don't know why he went. Man, Arkansas is becoming a place where coaches go to die. I mean, it, I don't know what's going on. How about program. them hiring back Bobby Petrino today? I, I never, you know, I don't have a pro- look. A lot of people hate Bobby Petrino. I, you know, he's done some things. The, the whole, I'm shocked in a school where he was in a scandal for having a relationship with a young secretary that was a former volleyball player. <laughs> um, I'm shocked they hired him back. I mean, Me I guess though, if you remember what she looked like, there's a lot of people that goes, man, well, who can blame them? <laughs> well, that's why I was laughing yesterday when I got the ESPN notification that the University of Arkansas was vetting Bobby Petrino. Like, well, like what was their, I don't know. I mean, well, what they're, what, do you still like attractive young blondes? And he said, no, I don't like them anymore. 
and um, they uh, they hired him. He turns I out wanted, now. I just wanted, out, yeah. go ahead. That was the process. They asked him. They got in the maroon, Bubba, and they showed him a picture of a bunch of attractive young blondes. And he said, "No, no, I don't like those anymore." And uh, they said, "All right, we'll, we'll let you come back." That was just laughable after what <laughs> happened the first time, and that's why they let him go. Them saying they were vetting. Yeah, well, they, they were just trying Pat- to say. They- <laughs> Petrino is the ultimate example that, like, if you can coach offensive football, no matter what you do, like you could. Oh, that's bullshit! No, no, it's bullshit. If you're Art Bryles and you get cleared of all allegations, you're still not even allowed to be on the sideline anywhere because uh, I don't know why. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I, Art Bryles seems like to be the biggest scapegoat in the history of college football these days. Yeah, that's actually a good one. You know, he, he's he's definitely he's he's done. I mean, he's well, he's, he was cleared. He was coach. cleared recently on any wrongdoing. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting. His son, um, excuse me, his son-in-law is now the uh, the head coach at um, where the hell's his son-in-law the head coach at? He just got a job, Mississippi State. Yeah, his son-in-law is now the head coach of Mississippi State. With Art being cleared of any wrongdoing, it'd be interesting to see if he gets a job on on his son-in-law staff. That hey, was. Jeff Levy. Jeff Levy. I'm just going to call him his son-in-law. Listen, America is supposed to be a place for second chances. So, you know, I, um, look, I'm, I'm all for giving a guy a second chance. People live, people make mistakes, you know, they move on. I mean, if he still wants to coach, give him a second chance. Hey, like you said, though, about uh, Bobby Petrino, Matt, you have what Arkansas is doing now. You had – Louisville bringing him back, you know, Louisville's fan base the first time when he was there, having all that success back in the early 2000s, I think it was 03, you know, when he flew down to Auburn and, you know, the folks, they were pissed off. And then he he went to uh, the Falcons, the way he left the Falcons, and just put a put a note in the guy's locker and didn't, didn't you know, have the, the stones to – Address them face to face, and then wow, and then, yeah, just the whole thing is just it shows you, you know, like you're saying, if if you coach and you know the you know, the value of winning, you know, is it's so great that uh, one will look the other way. Well, I, for everybody, brought brows. I want to know why. We look at a uh, look at homie at uh, at Auburn. Um, you know, Mr. Christian boy there that was uh. Didn't have enough damn sense to get a burner phone. It was using his score phone, his school phone, to to, to call escort services. Um, and uh, you know, then Liberty, uh, Jesus University hires him, and uh, now, now he's back in the SEC at Ole Miss. But for some reason, Art Bryles, who again has been cleared of any wrongdoing at Baylor, cannot get a job. And Liberty fired the fired Jeff Barber to, to bring in the AD from Baylor. <laughs> wow. Back back years ago, yeah. Well, there you go. But I, uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, maybe maybe East Carolina should be the place. Maybe maybe you know what? You could probably get him for a hot dog. Um, uh, that, that maybe call call it audible. Mike Houston, higher art brows. Give him his first job back in college football. But um, a little bit more about Keenan Bailey. You referenced um, the Ohio State's tight end coach. Uh, I believe it was Johnny Gardner who messaged me with that this afternoon. I had not seen it. Uh, it was right there when I was uh, wrapping up 
work. But uh, it's Keenan Bailey now in his eighth season on the Ohio State staff in his first season as tight ends coach. He was previously promoted uh, to the position of senior advisor to the head coach in February of 2022. He'd been a quality control coach on offense for the past three seasons um, during which he worked with you know, the wide receivers and quarterbacks said that he worked closely with Kevin Wilson this past season prior to Wilson getting the Tulsa job. Yeah, that's, that's one that it may I say a big hell no things. It may, may be an unbelievable hire, but on the surface, it's believable. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, he might be a young up-and-comer, and I'm sure he is. You know, I'm sure he's got a bright future and everything. But yeah. in this situation – Go you know, somewhere, somewhere else. Yeah, you you, you got to have – you know, here's the thing, too. You know, obviously you guys know this, but, I mean, coaching at Ohio State, you're getting the best talent in the world. Exactly. You know, I mean, exactly. Co- coaching here at East Carolina is a much different story. You have to be able to do more with less and – um, you know, it's just not the right fit. Not not at this time. Not at this time, anyway. And that's one reason why I also like the Chad Morris ideas because he he was at Tulsa and he was at SMU back before they could pay players again. Right, exactly. Another good point. Yep. Very and true. Justin Butts agrees. He said, "I'm gonna go with Morris," uh, but a, I know um, I'm a conversations I had had with Justin off the air. You know, he also liked the possibility of um, Blake. I, I'll tell you really quick. Excuse I know it's getting me, late uh, here, but Mississippi, excuse me, Mississippi Baker. I knew that. Yeah. John David Baker. The uh, Mississippi State offensive coordinator was uh, obviously let go with that coaching change. But two years ago, he was the OC at App. Um, yes. And he, and he lit it up there. And, Kevin Barbet. Know, yeah. You know, I, I've, I've been really – I've said a million times, I think you guys have too, that – that style of offense, I would love to see in Greenville. And, you know, I know it's probably a little late in the game now. I'm sure Mike kind of has his mind made up, but he, I, I think I would have tried to get him in for an interview. Yeah, I don't know if that would have excited the fan base with him. Uh, the offense of Mississippi State didn't exactly um, set the world on fire this year. Um, I think Chad Morris would. I think Baker would to an extent. Um, I think you got to sell some season tickets, and I think Morris does that. Can't argue with that, buddy. James chimes in saying, "I'm, a, I'm assuming he's referring to uh, to Barbe. Correct me if I'm wrong, James. I, I would assume so. Um, uh, but I, James, I, I, just, I don't think he's fired. Yeah, he, he says Barbe was the OC for Central Michigan when they won nine games. Yeah, he's a good coach. Uh, under, under Jim McElwain. It's a good, he's a good coach, and it would probably be a good hire, but I, it's just I'm going to fire the fan base up. Well, yeah, as far as that's concerned, I mean, I just want us to hire whoever's going to be the – going to, um, you know, be the best coach. Uh, I'm not worried about firing firing me. Oh, I am because we, we, I, I we got to sell season tickets. Well, I, I, I understand. I understand, but – no, I'm with you in the long run. Whoever's going to do the best job win the games, because in the long run, that's going to sell you more tickets than anything. But um, I don't. I, he hasn't even came up for an interview that I've heard, so he's not even a candidate. But 
certainly I get OC and, and they'll land on his feet somewhere. I don't know why it didn't work out at Mississippi State this year. Could be, a, you know, could have been going from running a air raid to, I, I don't, don't even know exactly. Does he run a pro-style offense? Yeah, they're, I mean, they're offensive struggles. Um, it didn't shock me at all when, when Zach Arnett decided to go from from the air raid, you know, especially, you know, the yeah. – true air raid um you know where they they very rarely ran the football and when they did you know you know pretty basic uh, ways in which they ran the football to um to what they did this year you know i'm sure it was a matter of perhaps not having the, the proper personnel to be able to to maximize what they were doing this year but um I thought that Arnett may be in trouble when he decided to go away from what they were doing, at least, you know, at least in year one like that before they really had a chance to to recruit for it. Well, you had access to Mike Leach's entire staff on offense. It was right there in place. So, you know, Steve why Sprayer, go away from it? Sprayer Jr., and now he's at Tulsa on Kevin Wilson's staff. And Yeah. So. Yeah, Guys, I just think whoever we hire, whoever it is, at the end of the day, it has to be somebody that fits with Mike Houston. And um, I, I just keep going back to the question, you know, Mike Houston has a certain style he loves. Is he able to break away from that style and let – if it is Chad Morris – I apologize for my dog snoring in the background. In an uh, interview, he said, he said, Matt, that um, he, he – we are going to be way more aggressive going forward on offense than we ever have than he's ever been in his whole career. He's changing his philosophy. He stated that in an interview, um, and he and according to uh, you know all the all the rumors in windows, the 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 him being a control freak on offense just ain't true. It was all Donnie, and uh, yeah, that's what Donnie wanted to run. So uh, so we'll see um, if that's the case. Then I would definitely go with Chad Morris because you need somebody that's that 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 is experienced enough to have full reins of the offense. And Baker maybe also. Um, uh, James, you're if you're still watching, you're a Mississippi guy. Uh, what are your thoughts of uh, Ole Miss's co-OC uh, Baker? Uh, what's his full name, guys? John David Baker. John David Baker. Uh, James, if you're still watching, any thoughts on him being a Mississippi guy? You may be more familiar with him than most. So we'll give James a second to reply, and then we'll get out of here. Yeah. While we're waiting on James to chime in um, a little bit more about uh, John David Baker, who is the assistant coach uh, and your co-offensive coordinator and tight ends coach, rather, at Ole Miss in his third season there in Oxford. You know, he, um, I believe, played quarterback for Abilene Christian and uh, right. is, a Texas, is a Texas native. Um, and then – you had him spend 2014 and 15 at his alma mater, Abilene Christian, uh, as a graduate assistant working with the quarterbacks, 2016 to 2018, quality control on the offensive side for North Texas, uh, 2019 offensive quality control. I guess it was on uh, Hilton staff that would have been uh, at USC in, in 2020. He was a tight ends coach for USC 2021, passing game coordinator, tight ends for Ole Miss, and then the last two years, co-OC and tight ends. So, 
pretty good resume. Obviously, young coach, up and coming. Um, could be a great hire. Um, that 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 uh, he, he's very intriguing. That uh, he may he, I might would favor him over Morris if we were in a situation where Mike just had an OC hired away and we were coming off of an eight win season. But in the situation we are in, I'd probably go with Morris, but. Uh, I could get behind either one of those two hires. Right, like if if Donnie had retired after the bowl game last year. Correct, yes. Guys, are you ready to wrap it up? Yep, Matt, you you have anything before we get out of here? No, man, just looking forward to seeing what happens tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's about it for me. Happy to get a basketball win. And and James uh, did chime in about – about Baker uh, saying that um, you know, he, he's a good coach, um, as we've stated, and not the primary play caller there at Ole Miss. The only thing I'd worry about with him um, is that I think Lane has his hands on that offense more than your average head coach. And that said, he may may uh, want to step out and do something on his own. I, I, exactly. I well, if he was the primary play caller at Ole Miss – he was the primary play caller at Ole Miss coming off of a 10-win season. He wouldn't be the candidate for an OC at East Carolina. Of course. You, know, you have Charlie Weiss Jr. Yeah. Um, a million and a half, and um, Baker is making 500K. So it, that that's what I would say. You know, it will be interesting. Obviously, it's the opportunity. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what we what we pay him if he is the choice. Probably 600K. Um, I would, I, I would say, is a minimal increase, but uh, the opportunity to be an OC and call the place. This is pure speculation on my part, but uh, if I was John Gilbert, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be having conversations with Mike Houston about, uh, look, if you, we need to get a good OC in here. We're going to have to pay him. Um, you might have to take a hundred thousand dollar, two hundred thousand dollar pay cut. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's been discussed, but uh, if I was the AD, it sure would be. No doubt. And on that note, so we'll wrap it up and get out of here. Again, you've been watching your Pirate Basketball Overtime, East Carolina victorious over the UNT Wilmington Seahawks. Best win of the season, best atmosphere of the season at Minji's. Pirates 74, Seahawks 66. And uh, you, again, we've been talking Pirate Basketball here on Pirate Basketball Overtime on the Sports Objective. Have a great one, everyone. And as always, go Pirates.